0: This week on Art in the Air, we feature artist, art educator, author Diane Grams about her summer residency at Jehuygens Studying Fresco Painting. Next, fiber artist Susan Atwell shares her Indiana Arts Commission on-ramp grant experience and her upcoming demonstrations. Our spotlight is on Lakeshore Community Concert about their season beginning September 15th with Taylor Red and Michigan City Video Fest submissions. Express
1: yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art.
0: Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
0: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air streams live at wvlp.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m., plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash A-O-T-A. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome back to Art on the Air Spotlight, the president of this great organization, of which I've had an associate with it over the past, Lakeshore Community Concert, Carolyn Borkhark. Welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. We just love to be able to be on your show and, and tell everybody about what, Lakeshore Community Concerts is doing this year. World, we're going to have a season this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a season last year. So now mm-hmm. you're all keyed up and ready to go. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, tell us a little uh, briefly about from Lakeshore Community Concerts, they're doing and everything this year, and then your season. You have six events going on.
3: Right. Well, we've been in business since 1947. Um, we are on our 74th year right now. Granted, we didn't get to do last year, but We have our venue at Munster High School, working with Ray Palaz to get everything set up and figure out what the CDC rules are and how do we have to follow that. We're still offering six concerts for $75 for subscription. So that's really good. We have our website up and running on lakesharkconcerts.org. We have also, if you have a family, you can add $15 for your children, and all of the children in your family can come for that $15. You can't go out to orphanages and pick up other people, but <laughs> they have to be yours, you know. Um, this year, our concert, we try to have a variety. Our first one is Taylor Red. Taylor Red is this evening, as a matter of fact. Um, they're identical triplets, Nicole, Natalie, and Nika, and they are... Uh, Country, I would call them mostly country, but um, they're really energetic and um, we're just really excited to be able to hear them tonight, see them tonight, (laughs) the whole nine yards. Uh, Another one of our concerts this year, November 8th, is the Black Market Trust and they're a pop vocal jazz kind of a group, a band, and they're... um... Very swing. Yes, they are very swing, you're correct. Um, five world class musicians. They've traveled the entire globe. So we're very thrilled with them. Then in January on the 25th, we have the Thalia String Quartet. And they're not only performing for us, but they're also going to be one of our outreach programs. They haven't, our outreach person hasn't set up exactly where they're going to go, but we do schools, we do senior residences, a, ver- a variety of things. And This group is talk about from everywhere. They're Canadian, Nigerian, Venezuelan, Japanese. I mean, you're talking, you got the world in your hands with this group. So we're excited about them because we know we have a lot of chamber music lovers.
2: Yes, they're very Um, good.
3: Yeah. In March 21st, we have Duo Baldo, who is a musical comedy team. They have uh, Brad Rep, who's a violinist, and Aldo Gentlesscchi, who is their pianist and also an actor. So they do humor, pop culture, a wide variety of um, fun stuff for them. In April on the 4th, we have Let's Rock Broadway with a group called The Diamonds. And they are, as you well, I can tell from their picture, Their kind of '50s influence, so um, they—they're rock and roll, you know, lots of show tunes. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) and maybe
0: American songbook stuff too.
3: Yeah, I bet you're right. I bet you they will have American songbook stuff. They're—they're real. They were so much fun in their when we did their audition. We just loved them. And finally, our last performance is on May 13th, and it's Mark Kingswood. And he's like a modern take on the big band jazz kind of era. He's, he's got a little full on, full on crooner. Yes, yes, he is a full on crooner. <laughs> and he's, um, as they said in the thing, he's kind of the sexy sheen of the rat pack. Um, <laughs> he's also going to do an outreach program for us, but we don't have, have, have our fun. outreach program set up yet. So, We're very excited about this season. It should be wonderful. Um, We are not going to do our reciprocity this year because we just felt like our people needed to be coming first. And we didn't know how many are going to come back and how many aren't. So we thought this year we're going to lay back on that. And we're also not going to do our bring a friend promotion because we don't know what percentage by September the CDC is going to allow. So we figured just work with our own people and get it in place. And then maybe next year we get to go back to that.
2: Well, Carolyn, I think it's really commendable that you kept the season price the same after this year of not having those funds. Yeah,
3: we were really lucky because we have got some good sponsor donors and we got the grant from the Indiana Arts. So that helps.
0: So real quickly, tell us how they can get tickets and where you're performing in uh, that information website and phone numbers.
3: Okay, the website is lakeshoreconcerts.org. Contact information, Jim Rochelle is our membership person. His number is 219-789-3851, and you can find that on our website. And my number is 219 932 Nine seven nine
0: five. Well that's uh, from Lakeshore Community Concerts, uh, Carolyn Borchart, president of Lakeshore Community Concert. Thank you so much for coming to Art of the Air Spotlight. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And this is Art of the Year Spotlight Extra. It's about the seventh annual Michigan City Video Fest, which are accepting submissions right now. Of course, this is COVID permitting, and the fest will be held the first week in November. So uh, Esther's gonna tell you a little bit about that because she's been involved with it for several years.
2: Thank you, Larry. Yes, it's one of my favorite events, and it's happening very soon. Um, the 7th Annual Michigan City Video Fest is approaching and submissions are being accepted now. Videos submitted should be under 10 minutes. All genres will be considered, and a priority is given to the videos either made in northern Indiana, Michigan, regions, but they are accepting all videos. Um, if you have a video you made and like that's under 10 minutes, please submit to mcvideofest.com mcvideofest.com. The deadline for submissions is October 15th of 2021, and the event will happen the first weekend in November.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a really great event. Uh, again, you can submit your uh, video there on the 7th Annual uh, Michigan City Video Fest. And again, that's mcvideofest.com. The details are right there, and again, they should be under 10 minutes. So, Esther, thank you for sharing that with our Art on the Air audience. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Air an artist and educator. She studied fine art at Indiana University Bloomington, studied under Robert Barnes, she earned her master and PhD in cultural sociology from Loyola University, and also has been around for a long time in the Michigan City area. She especially wants to talk about doing things that she did this summer with a special residency. Welcome to Art in the Air, Diane Grahams.
2: Thank you. Aloha. Welcome.
0: Well, Diane, we always like to start our show with a little background about our guests, uh, kind of their personal life journey, and then also how that relates to art. So tell us about how they got from where they were to where they are, like where they grew up and everything like that, where they went. So tell us about yourself.
4: Well, I was born in Indiana, and uh, then we moved to Minnesota, and probably my earliest arts experiences were in the school system in Minnesota, White Bear Lake, actually, And I, you know, I think unlike the kids today, I did not have an art class in elementary school. My first art classes were in junior high, but we were able to be immersed. We were had a kind of what's called a modular schedule. So I did a lot of art at a very early age in junior high and high school. And um, we moved here to Michigan City, Indiana when I was in high school. And I was able to um, do my afternoons uh, with art and photography. I did yearbook and I made a lot of art with pet. Uh, whose name now is Brubeck, but it was Darish then. That's many, many years ago. And um, I ended up going to Indiana University and really got into painting. Bob Barnes is a kind of well-known Chicago painter who recently retired from Bloomington, and I think he was in Maine for a while and in Italy. But he does... uh, Indiana is kind of known for representational painting kind of incorporating imagery of figures and things like that in your work and so that's always been part of it, although I've had my stints with performance and other things while living in Chicago, in the 80s and 90s. Um, But, um, so we bought a house here in Indiana in the 90s and but kept an apartment and a studio in Chicago and then I even taught in New Orleans for many years and I had an apartment down there so. I'm settled here now permanently doing art and uh, being part of the art scene here, um, being involved with the LeBuznik Art Center in Michigan City, and more recently, the Chesterton Art Center. I guess I'm going to be teaching art classes there come this fall. So that's the quick story of my development as an artist. Part of the area artists? Are you one of those? I am. Met, I joined them a couple of years ago, and I actually, I'm uh, the vice chair right now. Um helping out uh get these shows organized. But my art career in Chicago was probably the most developed. I worked for the Chicago Artist Coalition for many years, and then I became a member of Artemisia Gallery. So I was doing a lot of shows with Artemisia, which it was a feminist gallery in Chicago, and really loved it. And um, I also did performance. Um, we had a group called Battle Ax, which is surprising. It was a very feminist group, and we did performances with at, at, as well as other places but it was really a time when people were really artists were very very engaged in the in the uh, public discourse and that's how we were and um, I did installation at Ar- Artemisia as well with a lot of text I guess that's what most people know me for is doing these large drawings with text in them so for the art world people out there that they might recall some of that.
0: Yeah, we're curious about the performance aspect of uh, what you did. So t- did you actually perform and, how, you know, things like that? Tell us a little more details about that.
4: Yeah, we were writing. Um, we did performances that were about – I did a book called A Prayer in No Man's Land, actually. It was kind of a – it was actually 37 pages um, poem that I ended up getting an Art Matters grant for, An Art Matters is a foundation in New York. And so that was published, and then also it was featured – I did pieces – that were featured in an exhibition at Artemisia. And the performances, that piece was really about um, growing up and some of the um, struggles my sister had just. So the the performance was based on a a very long poem that I wrote called A Prayer in No Man's Land. And um, I got an Art Matters grant for that. Art Matters is a foundation in New York. And uh, it was a feminist work that was um, about what it means to grow up female. And my sister at the time was um, going through a divorce. And so, you know, I had been talking with her a lot about, you know, taking power in her own own life. And that was pretty much what it was about. And I did a show at Artemisia based on that as well. And I incorporated these images from... um, I had been looking at Boy Scout and Girl Scout manuals for a while, and I noticed, and this is, you know, this is kind of old news today, but back then it was kind of new to me that boys were really socialized very differently than girls. And so I had girls doing the things that the boys were doing in the Boy Scout manuals, like diving forward rolls and backward rolls, and building things and making things and making so i fires work, yeah, building fires camping dressing up like Indians and running around and uh the Girl Scout manuals had you know really skinny little girls and showed you how to set the table and sit and knit and sew and <laughs> and I was all those things when I was a kid I did so and I did all those things but I was just shocked that boys at such a young age were encouraged to do such crazy and fun things and so that's what was in my paintings, as well as, um, I brought up in this, um, book as well that I did. So that was in, in the eighties and nineties. And, um, then we got into the 2000s. (laughs) It just just seems like, um, you know, when I, I just want to jump to Skowhegan because I went to Skowhegan in 1980, um, at the time and their, their, their mission is to help people, young people make the transition from student to, um, adult or professional artist and so I went there in 1980 and I I was very young I realized I was 22 at the time because now I just went back this year this was their first alumni um, summer and uh, I was one of I guess they have 4,000 alumni and 300 applied and 30 were accepted and I was one of them and um, had just the most fantastic time. But just st- looking at your whole life, I mean, I had to look at my life to apply. And then, you know, everybody was telling about all the things they'd done since their own residencies. And so it seems like a long time to me. So I'll skip over the 2000s to the two- 2020s and just go talk about this year now.
0: Okay. So what did you uh, do this summer? Tell us all about the, the exploration going there and then how that's influenced your uh, art and art practice.
4: Well, when I was there in 1980, I learned fresco. It's called Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture. And fresco painting has always been part of their uh, repertoire. And so I did do fresco painting then in 1980 with a guy named George Schneeman. And um, the summer is really an immersion um, where a lot of really well-known artists come. Um, Howardina Pindell was there that summer and Susan Rothenberg and um jackie windsor and martin purrier and so you really were were able to learn from people who were showing their work and really well known but at the time we did a fresco the guy george neiman did um painted clothing and so he suggested we make a clothesline and so that's what we did we did a wall on the outside of a building which was a clothesline and everybody did different pieces of clothing and i did a bandana and um i Really wanted to do fresco when I left, but it's so hard because you need to get this stuff called slaked lime and you need to grind your own pigments. And the whole uh, way art is set up today, it's just not made for it. Uh, It wasn't then anyway. And so, about five years ago, I decided I'm going to do fresco and I started building that part of my studio out and started collecting the materials. And I actually found a conservation place in Chicago that I could buy the lime from, the slaked lime. And this is a a chemical transformation it's not what you can get at a a local hardware store and it's 12 years aged and so I started making frescoes here um, and struggling with trying to remember what I did before and then this um, their 75th anniversary is this year for Skowhegan and they were closed for two years because of COVID and they decided they were going to do this alumni summer So I applied and I got in and um, it was just amazing. And I learned so much more than I did the first time around for Fresco. And uh, people ask me, why do you want to do this? And one of the reasons is, is I do like the whole idea of the permanence of Fresco. I mean, some of the oldest paintings in the world are cave paintings. And then we have the things on churches and and just about every ethnicity has them. And I think that's why it, it wasn't supported for the longest time because people really weren't interested in, you know, building a wall that they had for the rest of the millennium. But um now they are. And so it's really interesting and but what's what I think brings it into this modern context is the medium itself is really kind of a surprising medium. It 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 did force me to change how I was working. You you have to think through what you're going to make because you only have about five hours is the the typical time to paint on this wet plaster. You have to set everything up and lay your plaster and then you paint on it. And it it sounds, I always joke that it sounds like torture by fresco because you have to (laughs) build your pieces and lay it down and then you have to get ready to paint and you have to paint. But What is amazing is it made me think through my process differently. And I do work from drawings now and I transfer them onto tissue paper. And when I'm ready to paint and the surface is ready, I actually draw it right on, draw right on the tissue. And so there's this line kind of embossed into the surface, which is another really cool aspect to it. But um, the guys, it was, it was men and women, but mostly guys that were in the fresco studio and they, they did a workshop where we were, we had to learn all this stuff and then start painting at three o'clock. And I just said, there's no way I'm starting a painting at three o'clock. And um, what was shocking was I ended up doing a lot of painting after three o'clock because you have to set your stuff up and you have to, it's got a, the fresco itself. Once you lay the plaster, it has to set up, which sometimes should only take an hour, but it was so humid. It took two and three hours, but then that meant that you had like 10 hours to paint on it. and guys were joking that it's fresco madness because you're kind of sucked into this medium and it literally is the physicality of pigment being sucked into the plaster and you start finding your space on the plaster using thinned out paint and then as the time goes by the surface gets is happier and happier it wants more pigment it won't just take a lot of pigment right away it needs to be painted on for a while. And then it just starts absorbing the pigment and it really, and at that point, you know what it is you want to paint and, um, or how you want to paint it. Cause you've been painting already on it. So it really forces this commitment and it is actually like a performance. You have to get everything ready and then, and get be ready to paint and then you paint. And, uh, I did a wall there, a four foot by four foot wall. And my goal was to explore, um, these pigments because people I loved the Pompeii Villa of Mysteries that's what my piece was based on and this is a beautiful painting that was done I think in 50 BC but then it was covered by the ash of Vesuvius and it's so bright and people a long time ago said that it was because of the volcano that it the the pigment became so bright and in fact um, Oscar who was the the studio director said no you can paint that bright and you just have to get to this point where the pigment is being sucked into the the um to the to the plaster and it is true you're layering you're putting layers on so he said you know maybe it's your maybe you add pigment 30 times to that over the course of your five to ten hours of painting and that's what I accomplished I saw that I could get these super rich colors using earth pigments which is what you have to use for fresco you can't use cadmiums or anything it's all natural and the pigment is from herculaneum in uh, Italy it's called ercolano red it's a form of Indian red and then the other thing I wanted to do was to do a fresco over a course of several days and you have to do these things called called giornata lines where you decide where you're going to end and then the next time you come back you have to lay your plaster in and then match it up and so I did that, and it was definitely a wonderful learning experience to you know stretch this out like that. And then I did a lot of very quick frescoes that were on wood panel. Um, one beautiful circular one that is 25, two, two feet two twenty five pound. I also did frescoes on much fun. It's just you lay your. I did toned blue toned fresco uh, uh, plaster where I t- uh, pressed it into the burlap. And then a light skim coat of lime, and then I did what's called scraffito, where you s- where you draw back into it. So it's almost like an etching. So the medium goes from being this intense, permanent structure to a building to something that could be attached to a wall from a wood frame to something as delicate as, you know, and quick as something on burlap that you then glue down to a piece of wood, um, and then it becomes you know, it has its substrate. So Diane, how intricate or detailed can you get with the fresco? So what kind of paintings
2: were you doing?
4: Well, I did, um, my, my main pieces were based on the Villa of Mysteries and they have a, a border on the top that is like a faux marble. So I had that. And then I had a, a, a line that looks like it, it's a, a, like a three inch wide line that looks like it's a beveled pattern, almost like a, um, Geometric and it looks like a bevel, so it looks like a faux finish or a um, trompe l'oeil kind of thing. So I had marble trompe l'oeil, and then I had these images of of figures rolling on uh, on um, on this platform. And in the Villa of Mysteries, it's figures on this green platform, and it's uh, they think it's like some uh, ritual initiation ritual for marriage or something. But it's figures moving through the space, so that's what mine is, and it's very detailed. I mean, my figures are very three-dimensional and you can just keep adding your, um, you know, your t- detailed lines to it. And it, I mean, I basically always quit before the painting was done, would stop. I mean, I could have worked for three or four more hours. The painting was still, the, the surface was still accepting the paint. So what and- kind of bleed is there with the plaster
2: um, as far as getting detail? I mean, is there a certain point where, um, I'm, I, you know, because I was just wondering about the bleed
4: I guess. Well it doesn't really bleed like watercolor. In fact, that was something I I taught myself how to do because people say that it's a lot like watercolor but you can't um, you can't do washes or um, you know you, with watercolor you can do like a wash and then add into it you really can't do that I mean I I actually, there, it doesn't, the colors don't run into each other and bleed like that. They actually, you lay them down and they suck right into the plaster. So um, it really is the, the the strategy which Oscar uses and which I adopted was to grind my pigments and have a cup of each of the purest form of the pigment with the water in it, and then do three layers, three cups of slightly um, of uh, watered down. So you start with a watered down version of this, maybe this Ercolano red, which is really thin. And you then you slowly build up to this intense um, thick one. So the process is to, is to do these thin colors and then build it up, but it's, everything's being sucked down and it's not moving like it does on top of a piece of watercolor paper. It doesn't move at all. As a matter of fact, it, but you can put one on top of the other and it will, you'll actually see that brush stroke really well. It doesn't, You'll see the brushstroke rather than it doesn't blend like a like watercolor at all which is kind of surprising and that's something i had to and other people who have learned to do watercolor and then do fresco and people say it's like watercolor you have to just turn that part off of your mind because it doesn't work like that
0: did you bring any pieces home from that your experience this summer
4: i did i have um two small pieces and the um And the, um, in fact, if you want, I know the radio audience can't see them, but maybe you can see them and describe them. Okay, so this is one that you can see. It's on a wood panel in the back. And there was metal lath in here and then the layers of plaster. There's two layers of plaster on it. This is a close-up of, I called it uh, kissing Michelangelo's David. That's kind of like Michelangelo's (laughs) David's nose. So I did a close-up of these body parts, actually. And this is one that, this is the burlap one, which is pretty delicate, but it's, um, this is where it is the scafito, where the blue first tone, the first layer of plaster was toned dark blue, and then the white layer was right on top of it. And uh, so this one is, is, the surface is scratched, which is not what normally do with fresco. This is the example of just the layers on top of one another. And it's, you can see like the greens down here and the blues over here. And I, you can't see it very well, but my, I drew the lines on there first before I um, painted on it. So
2: it's in, it's just slightly in size there then? Does that make, that stays there?
4: Yes, it is. When I put the tissue on top, I worked, you know, I did a tracing of the space, of the surface and I put a tissue on top of it and just to trace it. And then I drew it. I worked out the drawing first and then I went back and I drew it. And It's slightly incised, and then I went back and did the layers of um fresco. So, in this one, you can see again, it's a wood panel, and you can see how things just layer. And the hair is why I wanted to show you that it's just you just keep adding, and things just uh become brush strokes. Uh, and so this is what I'm going to have at the Chester Arts Center. I have several pieces with the girl rolling backwards in different settings, um, that I drawings at different places that I've gone to so all of that was natural colors then yes they're natural, natural pigments. colors yes they're beautiful yeah you can't use cadmiums at all which makes you think oh it's going to be pretty bland and this is actually a lot I actually showed this in a talk there right after I showed a Giotto and I didn't realize it but the it's all the color scheme of Giotto and he does those those landscapes behind figures in action. And um, that was one of the people that influenced me.
0: Well, tell us a little bit also, you just retired from a teaching career. Tell us a little bit about that uh, journey.
4: Well, it was a pretty long journey. Um, I was the director of the Peace Museum in the 90s, and um, I started a program that taught art activities to kids, um, taught conflict resolution activities to kids in Chicago, Chicago public schools. And um, I went, then I went back to get a degree because I wanted to, a, a graduate degree because I wanted to expand that program. And I ended up doing a lot of teaching at the university level until I I taught at um, at University of Chicago and at Tulane. And I left Tulane in 2013 and thought I was retiring then. And, um, came here and ended up, uh, teaching elementary school at for Michigan City public schools. I had retired, I thought, and they asked me <laughs> to fill in because a teacher quit at the last minute and I ended up staying there for six years. And I really, uh, enjoyed working with the kids and, um, felt like I wanted to do something that, um, you know, that gives the kids something that they wouldn't normally have. Which school were you at? Lake Hills.
0: And do you miss that kind of interaction with the young people like that?
4: Um, not yet. I, it, I just retired. Um, and I'm already going to be teaching at the Chesterton Art Center. I'm going to be teaching adults and maybe kids. I don't know. But, um, I really do love working with kids, but I really do also love doing my own artwork. So I'm really going to, you know, get very involved in that um, more than anything.
0: And uh, your pieces will be on exhibit, uh, and that's going to be in...
4: Uh, September. This, September, going up, okay. Yeah, and the opening is actually um, 9-11, just September 11th, uh, Saturday, from 2 to 4.
0: Okay, but it will be all through the month of September then. Right. Well, uh, tell us how people can see your uh, things online, Diane. Uh, where where websites, uh, social media, other ways to get a hold of you.
4: Yes, um, I, I have a... a, a website, it's Diane Graham's Art. And if you just search that, you'll find it. It's on WordPress. It's all one word, D-I-A-N-E-G-R-A-M-S-A-R-T. And um, I, I have quite a few pieces on there. Uh, some of the Skalkegan frescoes, there's different tabs for recent, I had a show last year at Lebuznik and there's pieces there for that. Um, but I'm going to be spending a lot more time updating that as well.
0: Well, we'd like to thank you for coming on Art on the Air. That's Diane Grahams, an artist, educator, author, uh, sharing so much about what's going on uh, recently with her uh, uh, residency. Diane, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air and sharing your art journey.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed sharing it with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art on the Air. She's a textile artist living in Northwest Indiana, currently in Laporte, Indiana, but she's from Valparaiso originally. Uh, got her bachelor of fine arts from Ball State University, and has been awarded fellowship grants through the Indiana Arts Commission On Ramp Creative Entrepreneur Course, which is a very extensive course. And she likes to do a full spectrum of textile arts, from hand spinning to reclaim fibers into yarn, printing on repurposed fabric. This Susan Atwell, welcome to Art on the Air, Susan.
2: Hi, Susan. Thank you. Hi.
0: Well, Susan, uh, our audience would be very curious about your background. so we'd like to hear about uh, like where you grew up, the details, where you went to school and all that before we get into like your art. So I always like to say tell us how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us.
5: Well, I grew up in Valpo and I went to uh, Thomas Jefferson Junior High, Thomas Jefferson Elementary, which was within walking distance, and then went to Valparaiso High School, graduated, uh, several years ago, <laughs> and then went to Ball State. Um, after that, immediately after that,
2: so what kind of art programs were in those schools?
5: Well, in in junior high, it, it was uh, where I actually started the textile journey. I think you could say my ninth grade art teacher was a weaver, so she had looms in the art room, and I would go in before class and stay after school. And weave, so that got me all excited. And and I do have to say that it's in my DNA because both of my grandmothers were were quilt makers and seamstresses, and it's just it's just really part of who I am. It's something I just c- cannot deny.
0: So what made you move on to uh, when you went to Ball State? What was your course of study there? Uh, in Terms of how and how that kind of progressed into that? Did you study fiber art there also, or?
5: Well, I did, but I. Th- Going into it, I thought I was going to be a ceramics major because there were no textile programs at at the high school. So I was into photography and ceramics. And then I got to Ball State and thought, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to major in ceramics. And then I, I had a lot of trouble um, throwing a, a 12-inch cylinder on the wheel. So I thought, well, this isn't going to work. So I thought... Oh, too wobbly. A little, a little bit. A little bit short. <laughs> And although I enjoyed it, but I went upstairs to the uh, the the fiber room and just was and was just reacquainted with that all of that you know um, that was had been you know in me waiting to surface again. Um, I just fell in love with that whole process, and, and I decided, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to major, and and at that time it was weaving. I like to say textiles because we did more than just weaving. But it was primarily weaving, and any of the other things I did there, I, I, I taught myself.
0: So uh, you went to Ball State, and then uh, what happened from there? Uh, did you go immediately into an art practice, or you know, what happened?
5: No, I was um, in and out of retail, trying to support myself, and I was always doing, you know, something on the side. I had bought a loom from Ball State because the year I graduated, they eliminated the fiber program, sadly. So I was able to pick up a loom for, you know, hundred bucks. And, uh, I was doing that on and off and, and then one thing leads to another, you know, over the years, um, I tried this, I tried that. And, um, and now I'm back to full circle making yarn so I can weave and knit.
2: (laughs) So, um, how did Fat Quarter Quilt Farm, how did that name, um, what do you do with that? Oh, okay. That's another thing. Yes, of course. Um, In 2004,
5: we remodeled the garage at my property here into a studio. It's a single car garage. And I purchased a long arm quilting machine with the intent of doing that on the side again on the weekends and things. But I had lost my job about the same time in Chicago. So I started doing that Uh, full-time there wasn't a lot of work at that point because I was pretty new on the scene um, and I was working part-time doing other things but fat quarter is a measurement of fabric that quilters like to buy because instead of a long narrow strip it's a short square piece that's more utilizable so it just was a catchy kind of thing fat quarter quilt farm
2: kind of a catchy name so that's mostly where you do your quilting out of that or are there other, is that sort of the name of your business as well? And yes, I don't really have a, an official business anymore. I did it for several years
5: and um, ended up going back to work full time, but I still do it uh, periodically, mostly in the winter time. I have like a handful of clients that, that I really jive with and I'm not looking for new business, but um, so I, yeah, I still do it here in the winter time. Right now it is filed with, Uh, yarns and fibers and things for my upcoming program. But um it's a it's a it's a thing I'll probably do with July. So
2: Susan, can you explain to everybody what the long arm like freestyle quilting is? Sure. It's a instead of pushing
5: fabric through a machine, this machine is turned perpendicular and it has it has handles and it's on an XY axis and you drive it over the quilt sandwich. So my machine is a 14 foot frame and I can do kink size quilts on it. And what I have always done is done custom freehand, and that means it's hand guided. So there aren't any computer attachments. There aren't any preconceived drawings. Although you could, you could use those, but I've never done that. I've always let the quilt top and its piecing uh, dictate what I do as far as the custom quilting. So it's always comes from my from my head into my hands.
2: What brand of um, sewing machine do you use? It's a, it's an APQS um, millennium
5: and it was new in 2004. And as you can imagine, it's already like, you know, updated.
2: <laughs> <that's okay>. <laughs> lots it. of miles, lots of yeah. miles on yes. it.
5: <laughs> lots and lots and lots and lots of miles. And I have, I, I really wish I could have kept track of the numbers of quilts that I've built over the years, but it's just, it's, 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 yeah, I can't even imagine. It may, may even be into the thousands to be perfectly honest. I don't know for sure. It's been a lot.
2: We met because of, um, you taught a couple of classes on, um, printing fiber or fabric printing and your wet felting, right? The wet Mm -hmm. felting, the shawls that we did. So how did that come about So did you do those for yourself personally? And then you started teaching or or how did all of that Come together um, for you
5: well a, a friend of ours a friend of uh, mine I say ours my friend Brenda and I um we got reacquainted with a friend from uh grade school and she had taken a class with this master felter and I think she may have been from Russia or something I'm not exactly sure but she took a class and they felt it a, a garment it was a dress and she says I'm going to teach you guys how to do this and we were like you've got to be kidding a dress she's like yeah so we did it and it worked and we were both just like gobsmacked because we're like, what just happened? How did, what did we just do? And so we started like way, way out there instead of with basic stuff. Like usually you, you start with a bar of soap, right? You know, in Girl Scouts or something. And we just started off with this, you know, this, this garment. And um that got me hooked because I had never had a lot of uh, success with felting. So once that happened, it was like, oh yeah, let's let's do some more of this. <laughs> so that started the ball rolling, and um and I've since gone back to just simple, um one size fits all things like shawls and scarves and things because the garments are just way too involved and just just too much too much complication. But um so that's what's that's what started that whole ball rolling, and I'm and I'm looking forward to more of that because with through this grant. I'm purchasing a piece of special equipment that's going to get revealed in the third part of the presentation. I can't talk about it yet because I don't have it yet, but that's exciting too. So I'm excited to keep going with that and experiment more with some processes on top of uh, felt. So we'll
2: see. Yeah, the class was wonderful because it does allow, even though you're using the same technique, the individuality is is so unique and everybody's is wildly different from each other it was a lot of fun
5: yes i i really insist on that i love to teach technique and i always insist that everyone um, explore their own voice you know there is no right or wrong just really enjoy the process and have fun
0: you have a thing coming up and you uh first of all i'd like to talk about the indian arts commission on-ramp fellowship program and uh, just tell us the whole process of that uh, how you got how you applied and then what benefits it has. But, you know, tell us about how that uh, happened for you.
5: Well, it was so long ago because we lost a year due to COVID. But um, there was a, and I think, Larry, you were there. There was a an intro meeting at Chesterton Art Center about the program. And we had like a little bit of a, an orientation or just a, kind of an introduction. This is what's going on. And then you could go online and apply. And the application process was pretty intense as far as, um, just, you know, that's not my strong suit doing things with, with words and, and, writing it and making it sound like an adult is talking is tough for me, but I could, I could talk about it all day, but writing it down was tough. But anyway, so you apply and they chose, I believe 40 artists from across Indiana. It was an Indiana resident only thing. And then, um, I think I applied it was the second time I applied that I actually got accepted. Yes, yes, it's the second time. And the following year. And then we we got our notifications and then COVID hit and they decided to postpone it for another year. So you we were all excited about, oh yeah, we got in and then we're not doing it. So I kind of forgot about it for a year. <laughs> and then <laughs> I announced it again. It was, and, my, and I remember my mom saying, what is this thing you're doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. It's been so long, you know. Of course, you know, COVID and the pandemic, everybody's in a different um, um, mindset. But when we finally – when they finally decided to do it, we finally got to go. It was very exciting. And because of COVID, we got our – we each got our own hotel room, which was different than previous years because I think people, people shared. I'm pretty sure they did. And they had all the safety and health um, – Things in place, uh, and as far as you know, sterilizing the tables and all of that, and and we had a really big room and plenty of space for everyone, and everyone wore masks so everyone could feel safe. And they also gave us the option of opting out because of you know the COVID situation if we were still uncomfortable, and they would put you in the next class, so to speak. So it was um it was a, an extended uh, process. But definitely something that was, it was the highlight of my year for sure. It was just an amazing, it was amazing to get together with so many other artists from across the state and just to meet people, you know, from different geographical areas um, and different disciplines, you know, dancers and musicians, filmmakers. And um, I've got a friend that's going to be making one of a kind shoes. And it was just, it was really, really awesome. So
2: Susan, um, the workshop you have at um, the weaving studio. Is that part of the culmination of the on-ramp? Was that?
5: Yes, yes, it is. It's the, uh, what I am calling the um, public engagement section of it because I'm using the grant funds to purchase this piece of equipment. um, I needed a way to involve the community in my whole process. So I thought the best way to do this would be to, put on a program explaining, um, you know, what I know and what I've been immersed in in the last five years is working at a fiber mill. And we do take raw fiber and turn it into yarn or roving. So that was something I could definitely speak to. And I had a lot of examples. I have a lot of of materials and a lot of tools and things to show and tell.
0: So you went down to the IAC. What exactly was that process? I mean, what did you do in the course of learning how to do your on-ramp?
5: Well, um, it was a three day thing and we learned a lot about, um, like getting financing from other, um, from individuals, um, a lot of, um, just thinking about what our unique value is in, as far as, um, in the artistic world, like what is it I, what, what is the service I provide as an artist to the community? Basically, so we had to really work on that and hone it down and think about what it is that that makes us special as artists, I guess. And, and, yes. and, and again, um, what am I trying to say? Communicates our, our value. So that was a lot of that, and it was pretty intense. And again, the financing part was um, painful for me, but our pr- presenter was really, really good, and she's, she's a rock star at putting the two worlds together.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLp one hundred three point one FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, eighty nine point one FM.
2: Panel of people, then there's like a panel of people that work with you, or well, yeah, well there there was like
5: a, a like a core staff, and then speaking, thank you. Speaking of panels, every day we had panels of people coming from the outside world talking about their experiences. So every day we had people coming in talking about their businesses and and what what they've done in the community and just basically they're examples of how they're they're living the artist life so it was just an another way to um, glean experiences and approaches from people that are actually you know walking the walk
0: and did you feel that experience was very valuable
5: oh yeah yeah it was great it was it was tremendous because it was people from all all across the board as far as um, in their in their journey of being an artist. So, yeah, it was everything about it. I, I cannot recommend it enough. I would I cannot um, encourage people enough to to apply for the program.
0: Now, your program or your, uh, your thing is Animal to Art, and you're doing them in three parts. So can you explain that to uh, to us, how how that's going to work? If uh, I was interested in coming out to that, uh, what the process is for part one, part two, part three, and why are there three parts? And just explain that whole Animal to Art.
5: Well, when I first came up with this idea, of course, I had, like, you know, too much. And I'm, how am I going to put this together? And I thought, well, if we break it down into chunks, into processes, and different things, uh, we could do it we could do it, but I had to do it in three parts. And I think I'm going overboard on the community engagement thing, but I wanted people to know as much as I could possibly cram in a, in a program. So the first, the first one basically is talking about how we take, or someone can take anyone that wants to do the process, takes raw fiber from the animal, whether it's a it's a a sheep or an alpaca or a goat or whatever it is. Um, And, and the, and the long process it takes to get to um, yarn or finished product. Now, a lot of people, since, since this is something that I, I do every week, I kind of take it for granted, but I know there's people out there that, that don't understand, you know, the process. And there's a lot of steps to it, even when it's mechanized, even when you're doing it in an industrial setting. So, I broke it down into uh, just getting to the yarn and a machine knit um, example. I'll have several examples. And then I thought I used to be a weaver and it's been so long. I don't even know if I could do it anymore. I'm so, so rusty. So I thought I'd bring in Chris Acton and she was super excited to join. And she's an on-ramp person from, I think, two classes ago. So she was thrilled to to be able to uh, join in on this on this program. And she's going to do the second part. So I'm going to let her... Just talk about everything that she's doing um, and all of her insights. And I know she does every week, she does live at the loom, so she's doing videos and things. And that's part of her, I think, public engagement process that she's enjoying. And I think that probably, I'm guessing it started with the on ramp um, program. And then the last one is the felting demonstration, and that's where I'm going to show um, hands on, um, well, hand. Processing, and then I'm going to have this this new piece of equipment, this machine, which is something I just discovered this past April. So I was pretty excited to find that out, and I didn't realize I was going to use that for my grant fellowship until literally like a month before on ram. So that was pretty exciting. So it must have the universe must have been listening. Um, and then I'm going to, and at the end of that, if if people want to participate. Uh, Kids especially, if you bring your own bar of soap, we'll do a a wet felted (laughs) bar of soap so people can get their hands on and experience that whole transformation of, of, you know, fleece fiber hair into a a one kind of one unit um, textile.
0: And so you're going to do these over three months, uh, if I understand right, like starting in September.
5: Right. The first one is September 18th. The second one featuring Chris Acton. The weaving is going to be October 6th, I believe.
0: October 2nd.
5: 2nd, thank you. Thank you. And then uh, the last one is November.
0: November 6th, yes. And that, yes. And, and that's being held where? Where's that? At Three Moons Fiberworks.
5: And we we had to, I had to book that pretty quick because she's got a lot of things going on there. And, um, and it just worked out as far as getting it, getting it in before Christmas, because after and after Christmas, you know, things slow down and people just kind of hibernate. So we want to get to- a
2: limit to is there a limit to how many people can observe this and how do they reserve time? At, at this point, we don't have any
5: restrictions on um, number of people in the building, except for her original, you know, fire code. But we're not even close to that yet. But we're asking people to bring masks just in case um, we're going to space it out as much as we can. Um, if you want to sign up, you you can go to their website and you can sign up for one, two or three of the of the programs. It doesn't matter whatever you're interested in, but you have to do it individually for each program um, just because of the way it's set up. We just need to know how many people are coming.
0: And that's at three. 3moonsfiberworks.com um, that's 3moonsfiberworks.com and then you can get yes, to it Chesterton. all there and that's in Chesterton of course so yes. I want to touch briefly you talked a little bit how COVID in, impacted your on-ramp process but how did it impact you tell us a little about that uh, in terms of getting out to do things or what was the impact
2: Oh wow well um, I haven't seen Susan in almost two years it, that was yeah
5: an there's, exactly and exactly. I wondered about you how things were how it was affecting you at the nest um, well, let's just say it started off with I was scrubbing the siding on my house by hand. That was a little <laughs> weird because I don't normally do stuff like that. But I'll tell you what saved me was hiking outside of the dunes every day with a, with a friend pretty, whatever, every day, every week. So that was something that was good. We got out in the elements even when it was super cold. But it, winter's hard for me anyway because I'm stuck inside and I'm more of an outside girl. And my studio is just keeps getting smaller and smaller with all this, this stuff I'm collecting and all these things I'm doing. But um, I had I had quilts to keep me busy, but it was it was it was hard. I, I don't know how, how else to say it. And, and we and, you know, people lo- losing loved ones. And of course, it was it was just heartbreaking to hear all of these things. Um, but I I tried to stay busy as much as I could. And i and literally getting outside even even in the middle of winter just totally saved
0: me. What are you looking forward to now? Well, unfortunately, let's assume we got through the Delta variant, but what are you looking forward to do?
5: I'm looking forward to this program
0: because
5: (laughs) I keep thinking about it. And it's been in my, I've been thinking about it since Memorial Day. And I'm really ready to just get up there and just do this. Um, And I'm looking forward to this new piece of equipment and the possibilities it may bring because it's going to really lessen my physical effort. I'm a big fan of machines. Whenever you can involve a machine or a tool, definitely do it because I want to get to the fun stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, Susan, I think that's a a good round. That's a Subban Atwood. She's a Indiana Arts Commission on Fellowship grantee, and uh, she'll be doing uh, her Animal to Art project. Part one is at Fleece to Yarn. That's September 18th. Part two is Yarn to Woven Fabric, and that's with our old friend Chris Acton, also October 2nd. And part three is Fleece to Felt, November 6th, and uh, she resides eyes in La Porte and is originally from Valparaiso, and we really appreciate you sharing uh, your whole on-ramp experience, and it's at Three Moons Fiberworks, that's Three Moons Fiberworks in Chesterton. Susan, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you, Susan.
0: You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week We're on WVLP, 103.1 FM, and Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP. Art in the Air streams live at wvlp.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP station manager, and Tom Maloney, vice president of radio operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. Underwriters for Art in the Air Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments and Mary Levan Arts Patron. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an art on the air listener, become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so. So we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts, give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting art on the air. Information about art on the air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews.
1: And show the world your heart. Express yourself to your art. And show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther. I'm And show the world your heart, express yourself, you are. And show the world your heart, express yourself, you are. And show the world your heart.